I want to ask you this question. Have you ever started to pray and just didn't know what to say? Like, like you, 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 maybe you knew what you wanted to say, but you didn't know how to say it. And you're, or maybe even you didn't even know what you wanted to say. You just knew you needed to say something. Like, I know I need to pray, but I just don't know what to say. You get there and you're like, uh, um, God, <laughs> raise your hand if, if you're like that, because I'm totally like that. I, I don't know what to say when I pray. Prayer is hard. That's why the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because what do you mean? Just talk to God. No, no, it's harder than that. <laughs> I think this is probably why we all love this verse so much. Romans 8, 26 says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And it almost sounds kind of like this verse is saying, the Holy Spirit prays for us when we're too stupid to pray for ourselves, right? Is that what it sounds like? Kind of does sound like that, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit prays for us when we're too stupid to pray <laughs> for ourselves. Well, it actually doesn't really mean that. We'll talk about this a little bit, but what, here's what I think happens. We take this verse and we think, well, then therefore I don't have to try when I pray. We use this verse as almost an excuse to say, I don't really need to be a good prayer. I don't really need to use good words because, well, he's got my back. Spirit got my back. In fact, on our first installment of this series, we talked about that plaguing question of God's sovereignty and prayer. And that is, if God knows everything and he's in control of everything, then why should I pray? What difference does it make? And we talked about that extensively on the first week. I think this actually kind of feeds that problem, right? Because if God's in control of everything and I don't know what to pray for because he's in control anyway... And then also the Spirit's got my back, so whatever I say, the Spirit's is going to fix it to line it up with God's control. And therefore, I don't need to pray well, and I don't even really need to pray at all, because God's got it, and if He don't got it, the Spirit's got me. Now, I know, you aren't really thinking that, right? None of us has ever said that out loud, but I think subconsciously, we use verses like this as, ex as an excuse to either not pray well or not pray at all. I'll admit that. Will you admit that? Okay, good. I'm not alone. So the title of this message is called Password Protected. And here's the big idea. The big idea is that there is no password that we can say in our prayer that will get God to listen to us more. There's no magical words that we can say over and over and over and over again. And then therefore God will listen to us. However, I do think that language is important. Very important, in fact, because prayer is essentially a conversation with God. And conversation requires language, and good conversation requires good language. <laughs> you don't want to have a conversation with a dummy, right? Not a good conversation. You want to have a real good conversation with someone who has good language. And so here's where I want to go with this today. First, I want to stand on a soapbox and just kind of rant a little bit about stupid things we say when we pray. <laughs> In other words, what not to say when we pray. Because we say some of the stupidest things when we pray, and I want to tell you about those things tonight. And then secondly, I want to say, but here's what we should pray instead. Maybe let's look at some positive examples of what we should say instead of those things that we tend to say. And then finally, in the end, I, I need to do this. I want to do this. I want to bring it back to this verse, to this verse in Romans 8, because we have to bring it back to the gospel. Because the gospel is everything. It's all about Jesus. And, and what I want to do tonight, and this is tricky, and I, I, I hope you guys can feel me. <laughs> I want to say, we need to pray better. But if you know me, I hate sermons that are, you need to try harder and you need to do better and you need to be gooder. 
Because that flies in the face of what I think the gospel is. The gospel is not that you need to do better. The gospel is that he's better. And he died for you. And so now you're good. But at the same time, I do think that we need to concentrate a little bit on the language that we use when we pray. So how can I say pray better without saying you need to be better? Well, because the gospel is true. And, the God, and God gives us the spirit to pray for us even when we don't know how to pray. And even when you pray your best stinking prayer you've ever prayed in your life, you still need the spirit to fix it for you. Okay? So what not to pray? What to pray? And in the end, it's all about the gospel of Jesus anyway. And God's got us covered because we are stupid. All right, amen. good, good. All right, amen. Point one, what not to say when we pray. And I just need to just kind of like give a couple of um, disclaimers before I start. Because I'm going to just rant for a minute. And if you know me, you guys know I don't normally get on a soapbox and rant, right? Normally just try to keep it all about Jesus. But right now I just wanted to be about me a little bit. <laughs> and I just want to get on a soapbox and tell you about all the things I hate when I listen to you pray. I'm just kidding. When I listen to other people pray. Or when I listen to myself pray. But here's my disclaimer. I need you to know that when I say these things, I'm not thinking of any person in my brain. I promise you, I'm not thinking of you, I'm not thinking of you. I'm thinking, honestly, of 30 years of experience of listening to all American evangelicals in the room, in, in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? All American evangelicals. Now, I just made a very gross generalization, didn't I? All American evangelicals. Surely that can't be true. What I want to do in this section is sort of point to the elephant in the room. You know what an elephant in the room is, right? It's that obvious thing that everyone knows but no one's talking about. And here's the elephant. The elephant is that American evangelicals don't know how to pray. It's just, it's the elephant. It's huge. I'm talking, most of us don't know how to pray. I know this because I've polled a lot of people and they say that. They admit that. And then also, here's the obvious thing. It's in the room because it's clear and obvious by the language we use when we pray. So the elephant is in the room because we don't know how to pray, because listen to, the, listen to us pray. And my hope is not to say, yeah, you suck at this. Therefore, go home and feel bad. <laughs> my hope is to say, let's just, let's just talk about the elephant. Let's ride on this elephant for a little bit. And maybe if we can ride on it, we can move past our hangups and actually grow and actually have meaningful conversations with God instead of stupid ones that we currently have, because I'm mad about it. All right, so there's my disclaimer. Not thinking about you. I'm thinking about, you know, all of us, of which I am one, and I hate it when I hear myself say these things. Okay, so let me just get to it. Do you want to hear the... the I think that we as American evangelicals, we get together, and we get into this prayer mode, and we just go like this. Dear God. And we say... We have like a vocabulary of, I used to think, I used to say like 20 words, but I actually think it's five. We have five words that we just use over and over and over again. And they're words that we would never, ever, ever use in normal conversation on a normal day. But we use them when we talk to God. We say these words and then we click out and then we have, we have a, an awesome vocabulary. We use words like yo, yo, yo and stuff, you know, but then when we get into God talk, we just have this five word vocabulary. All right, here's the top five. I'm just going to give you the top five words that Christians use when we pray. Okay, ready? Don't, don't get your feelings hurt because I do it too. Here it is. Just want to lift up a hedge of protection for traveling mercies. 
I want to just take each one of these words and, 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 and pick them apart. Here, here's the first word. I have to go, I have to go, I can't do like David Letterman and go five to one. I got to go, I got to start with number one because it's, this is the most powerful word in the American evangelical language. All other words hinge on this word. It's the word just. We just use the word just. Just all the time, you know. We just can't. Okay, so there's this book a friend of mine gave me called um, Stuff Christians Like. It's a painfully funny book, and the author has this to say. He's pointing to the same elephant. He says, here's one of the things that Christians like, just using God's favorite word when we pray. <laughs> For centuries, we Christians have secretly used God's favorite word in all of our prayers. This word, above all other words, ensures that God will hear your prayers and answer them quickly and awesomely. To even mention it, I embrace great danger and peril and risk from my brothers in Christ. <laughs> but I must share, I am, of course, speaking of the word just. And here's how we use it in prayer. And this is a, 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 a picture from the book. Lord, we just pray you'll just hear us tonight. We just lift up our hands to you and just pray that you would just send your love down to us in ways that just can't, we just can't understand. Take us just as we are. Amen, Lord Jesus, just, just, and just. You're laughing because it's true, isn't it? Yes. We just say it all the time. And I just, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. We say that word all the time. And I don't know. Here's my second pet peeve. Listen to this word, wanna. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear me right. <laughs> wanna. That's not even a word. <laughs> it's not even a word. Why do we use that word? Wanna. Lord God, we just wanna. Come on, you know we do it. We just wanna all the time. It's not even, I think it's a word for two words. Just want to. Lord God, we want to is what we're really saying, but we say wanna all the time. Wanna, wanna, wanna. Lord God, I wanna. And I'm thinking if I was God, I'd be like, well, then do it. You know, Lord God, we just wanna pray for Charles right now. Well, pray for him. Don't tell me you wanna do it. Do it. In fact, we say it so frequently that if you put those two words together, just and wanna, it becomes a word unto itself. Maybe that should have actually been the number one word, just wanna. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. American evangelicals, we lock into our prayer mode. Dear God, we just want to lift up Bill to you right now. We just want to pray him. We just want to, we just want to, we just want to. Where does that word come from? From the Bible? From Greek? Sounds Greek. I don't know, for the life of me, I don't know where it comes from. And, 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 and here's the deal. I just pointed it out to you, and you're going to hate me forever. <laughs> because now every time you hear someone say that word, you're going to hear it. Whereas before, you never even heard it. Because it was just one of these non-words that just got thrown around 800 times in one 30-second prayer. Not only that, but sometimes I hear myself say it. <laughs> I'm praying to God. I'm like, Lord, just want to, no! Why did I say that? I hear the horror, you know? <laughs> How would you feel if I called you this week and said, hey, bud, I just want to just want to call you to say that I just want to tell you about a, a movie that I just want to go see. And I just want to just want to ask you to see if maybe you want to go see it, because I just want to I want to thank you for thinking about that. Amen. Goodbye. <laughs> but isn't that how we talk to God? Lord God, we just want to pray for Bill right now. We just want to pray for him that you'll lift him up. You put a hedge of protection around him and then that, and goodbye. Amen. And God's like, what just happened? <laughs> see, evangelicals don't speak in tongues. Or do we? <laughs> All right. Here's my next favorite pet peeve word, lift up. Lord God, we just want to lift up. Guarantee you, 
89.972% of every prayer that you will hear will begin just like this. Dear Lord, we just want to lift up. I know I'm being mean. I know I'm being mean, but I'm just pointing to the elephant in the room, okay? Why do we say that? Why do we want to lift up? Where does that come from? I'm assuming somewhere in the Bible, right? Maybe there's a place in the Bible where we're supposed to lift people up in prayer. Actually, I know a verse says we're supposed to lift up holy hands in prayer, but that seems like a different thing. And we don't say, I just want to lift up holy hands, because then God said, we'll do it. <laughs> you ain't got no holy hands, so what are you going to do? Standing in the gap for people. So maybe it means we're praying for people who aren't lifting themselves up in prayer. So we're just want to lift up them because they're not going to. And, and maybe that's kind of like whenever the, you know, the friends of the cripple lowered them down to Jesus. You know, like, maybe we should lower them down. Lord God, I just want to lower them down to you. No, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. I guess we have to lift them up. At least lowering them down has a Bible verse connected to it. Just like them men of old, Lord, we're going to lower him down through the roof. I don't know what it means. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some Bible verses out there, standing in the gap perhaps. But nevertheless, we say it so often and so much, I wonder if we even really know what it means. Why has it become the magical password that we always use when we pray? You know, why? It's not that important. Here's another one. Again, I'm being mean. <laughs> A hedge of protection. <laughs> Okay, if it wasn't for prayer, I would never in my life use the word hedge. <laughs> I don't even know what a hedge is. That's like a bush, I think, right? We just want to pray for a bush of protection. I would never... We, come on, let's just be honest. Christians are weird. We get into our prayer mode and we say we just want to pray for a hedge. And non-Christians look at us and say, what in this, what is a hedge? Here, I'm not the only one who gets frustrated about this. Here's a comedian, Christian comedian. He's actually local right here in St. Louis. I think the way we pray is, it, prayer, is a, prayer is a powerful thing, but I think it's, when you grow up in church, it's just you hear prayers all the time in different styles and stuff, and little quirks that people have when they pray. I don't know, little phrases that I don't understand to this day. But we use the phrases, but we, we, that's just what we heard growing up. We think that's just the right thing to say when we pray, you know, like hedge of protection. You ever hear that? I hear that a lot, hedge of protection. Damn, we are praying a hedge of protection around you, buddy. That's right, a hedge. Mm -hmm. Around you and your whole family. A hedge, huh? I don't mean to complain. Is that the best you can do? How about a thick cement wall? Around with some razor wire on top of that bad boy. Hedge of protect, good set of clippers, get right through that thing. I'm sure the devil's got a set of those. I mean, you think a hedge is going to scare the devil away? You know, like, what is this greenery? I can't get through that. Move that bush. My greatest weakness is landscaping. How do they know? Okay, so I realized that I wasn't the only one who got irritated by this word, so I Googled it. I looked it up. I tried to figure out, there's got to be a Bible verse, right? Somewhere in the Bible about hedges. <laughs> Sounds like a biblical word. And there is. It actually comes from the book of Job, but it comes from Satan's mouth, where Satan says to God, well, Job, you've put a hedge around him. So I guess someone, a long time ago probably, said, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to start praying for a hedge, like Job had a hedge. But if you notice, Job's hedge wasn't so great, right? 
So then for now, we just start praying a hedge, a hedge, and a hedge. I put on there for you, right, right next to it, Psalm 91. That's a better prayer for protection, okay? Psalm 91, pray for army of soldiers, pray for shields, pray for, pray for swords, bazookas, nuclear weapons, all kinds of things. No mention of a, of a, of a hedge, <laughs> okay? So I'm done with that. Last one, traveling mercies. This is cute. It really is. You say it, don't you, Karen? I'm sorry. No, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> the first time I heard someone say it in a prayer meeting, I heard this girl say it, and I was like, whoa, that was cool. That was really clever. She is amazing. I'm going to date her. You know what I mean? I liked it. But I didn't want to, at that point, steal it and start using it because I, it wasn't mine. It was hers. And I also didn't fully know what it meant. I just know that it sounded deep. Oh, Lord, we just want to pray for traveling mercies for Rachel right now. Whoa, that's cool. What's a traveling mercy? I want some of that. <laughs> so I didn't say it. I didn't pray it. And, and instead what I did was I just kind of like just waited. And then over the next year of my life, I heard it 8,436 more times. And at that point, I figured out by context what it means. And here's what I think it means based on the context that I heard it in. When we're praying for someone for traveling mercies, we're asking that they will arrive in their destination safely with no bad weather, um, no traffic, cheap gas prices, and um, no flat tires, you know, things like that. Just protect, right? No lost luggage. There we go. So it's just, we're just saying, we just want to say that praying for, you know, all these things, when we say traveling mercies, we mean all of that. But I wonder that when we say the word traveling mercies, do we really think all of that for our brother and sister that we're praying for? It's kind of, I guess, replaced the ancient way of saying Godspeed, which basically just means get you to your place as fast as you can and, and safely. But we just say traveling mercies. I just want to pray for traveling mercies. Okay, so it's not really a bad thing, really, but it bugs me. Why? Because it gets used so much. Well, why does that bug you? Well, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should bug me. I don't hear the psalmist praying like that. Do you? Lord God, we just want to lift up a hedge of protection and traveling mercies for Solomon. <laughs> no. I never hear Apostle Paul pray like that. My goodness, when I read Apostle Paul's prayers, I feel like I'm going to faint from lack of air, you know, because <laughs> it's a run-on sentence, get it? All right, anyway. Um, or great, you know, Puritan prayers. Have you ever read a great Puritan prayer? When I read prayers like that, I don't hear, God, we just want to lift up edges. I, I hear stuff that's so, well, meaningful. They actually use words that mean something. Wouldn't prayer for you be more meaningful if it was more meaningful? <laughs> I mean, if we actually used words that had meaning and we elevated prayer to a level of conversation rather than just mantra. So my goal tonight is not to say, you suck and you need to try harder. My goal, because I suck and I need to try harder. My goal is to say, honestly, if we, if we point to the elephant in the room, most of us struggle with prayer. I know this for a fact. And maybe it's because prayer's meaningless. If we moved past the meaninglessness of prayer and actually used words that had meaning, then our prayer life might be more meaningful and therefore more enjoyable. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's listen to this. Um, Charles Spurgeon. He calls it the sickening superabundance of endearing words. I like that. The sickening superabundance of of endearing words. He says, when dear Lord and blessed Lord and sweet Lord come over and over and over and over and over again as vain repetitions, they're among the worst of blots. Can you believe it? Spurgeon said that. 
When you say, dear Lord, too much, it becomes the worst of blot. Don't even say it's blotted out. Take the word dear Lord out of your vocabulary. It's hideous to me when you say, dear Lord, dear Lord, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, I just want to, just want to, just want to, just want to, hedges and, and mercies. Oh gosh, gag me. All right, so of that, let's talk about words that we could use instead of words that don't have meaning. Is this true? Good communication takes forethought. Right? You know it. When I proposed to my wife, I didn't wing it. Okay? I knew. I knew what I was going to say. I practiced it a lot of times. Even still to this day, when I'm going to have a good conversation with someone, a deep, maybe a, maybe a difficult conversation, I, I, I hash it out in my head while I'm driving. I kind of talk to myself. I'll admit that. Because I'm, it, it's a good conversation takes forethought. Look, I've thought about what I'm about to say to you. I don't know how I want to say it, but I've been thinking about how I want to say it. When I, when I preach, I, I practice my sermon. I drive out to Owensville on Sunday and preach. I practice it all the way there. And then when I come back, I practice next week's sermon all the way back. I practice. I, I, you, 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 good communication takes forethought. And so maybe when we pray, we should think before we pray, hmm, what is it that I want to say to God today? I mean, if there's any person we're not going to wing it with, wouldn't it be God? Okay, so God, I need to pray for this. I need to pray for that. I need to pray. Okay, God, I'm going to come to you now. Maybe we should write our prayers down. Is there, is there anything wrong with right? I mean, I grew up in a Methodist church, you know, where the pastor was always reading from the Book of Common Prayer. You know, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Amen, says the people. And, you know, and it's just boring and it's rote. And so we all judge that. But is there anything really wrong with having some forethought and writing down a prayer? But it seems so unnatural. I don't like it when people read prayers, says the guy who just wants to lift up prayer hedges. <laughs> what about this? David wrote down his prayers, and they made it in the big book. <laughs> Paul wrote down his prayers. Spurgeon, Calvin, Luther, Lewis, they, all these great men of the faith, they all have books on prayer. They're, they're prayers that they publish so that you can read in case you don't know how to pray. But we're satisfied with just want to lift up hedges. All right, so here's, here, here's a couple. Here's a couple. Here's David, First Chronicles. Yours, O Lord. That sounded like a Texan, didn't it? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Talk about adoration. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Amen. This is David's prayer. It's actually a prayer that he prayed um, for a ceremony. It was a ceremony of receiving gifts from the people to build God's temple. He says, I can't build the temple. My son's building it, but let's help him out. Let's receive gifts. And so this was a ceremony. I need you to know that he wrote this prayer before the ceremony. You need to know that David didn't get into the lectern and then pray this prayer. And then the next day, some blogger found it on a podcast and then typed it up and put it in the book of Chronicles. That's not what happened. He wrote this, said, this is what I want to say to God for the money that was received. David writes prayers. Did you see any just one is in there? <laughs> no, I didn't either. Here's the Apostle Paul. This is my favorite prayer of Apostle Paul's, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. 
I try to pray this for you guys. I try to pray this for everyone that I pray for. When I send out one of those little prayer letters, those prayer cards, you know how we do that. Hey, I'm praying for you. I try to write somehow this verse in that prayer. So I'm not saying I'm praying for you. The doctors will have wisdom over your surgery. I want more than that. I'm praying for Jesus to revolution. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like we should pray more like Paul. So this is the prayer I try to pray, even though it's very difficult. I'll give 20 bucks to anyone who can find a hidden hedge, okay? <laughs> I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that, and here's his prayer, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. Did you find a hedge? How about a lifting up? How about traveling mercies? See, see, Paul's praying for the Ephesians. He's saying, I'm praying for your protection. And how is he praying for their protection? That your eyes will be enlightened, that you will know in the depths of your soul all that you've already inherited in Christ. And all the power that you have, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's what I'm praying for. Wow. It's better than a hedge. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. All right, good. Whew. All right. Well, I just want to make sure that you guys weren't feeling small. I'll give you a surgeon. <laughs> Spurgeon, listen to this. And now fulfill that part of the covenant wherein you have said, O Lord, a new heart also I will give you and a right spirit will I put in you. I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. He's quoting scripture in his prayer. Hold fast and then we will hold fast to you. Turn us and we shall be turned. Keep us and we shall keep your statutes. We cry to you that we may no more provoke you. Listen to this. We I like this. We beg you rather to send the serpents among us than to let sin come among us. Oh, that we might have our eyes always on the brazen serpent that heals all the bites of evil. Again, he's quoting scripture, Exodus. But may we not look to sin nor love it. May things that are now slow and dead become quick and full of life. That's interesting. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted in the midst of his church, which is his fullness, the fullness of him that fills all in all. May multitudes be converted. May they come flocking to Christ with holy eagerness to find in him a refuge as the dove flies to their dove coats. By the way, this is an excerpt of a three-page long prayer, which is an excerpt of a 300-page long um, collection of Spurgeon prayers. Can you believe it? He, he has 300 pages of Spurgeon prayers and most of them follow the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication model that we talked about in the first week. And then they'll go for three pages each. <laughs> and I couldn't fit all of that on the screen. I just picked out my favorite parts. I don't know what a dove coat is, but I like it the way it sounds. <laughs> it sounds better than just one and lifting up hedges. <laughs> don't pray for a dove coat, though. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Might get it. <laughs> <laughs> But did you hear what he said? These are supplication. This is a supplication prayer. And nowhere did he say just wanna. 
Lord God, we just want to. He uses supplication words like this. Listen to the words he uses. Um, We cry, hold us, turn us, keep us. We beg of you. We we cry. May we? (laughs) Never just want us. We cry, give us this. We beg you, make this happen. May it be true in our lives. May thousands be converted. Not we just want to reach people who are far from you, dear God. May thousands be, I mean, can you hear the difference? Prayer would be so much more meaningful if in fact it was meaningful. (laughs) So what I want to do now is I want to end with the gospel. Because my my fear is that I, I did a, it's, it's, and I said this before in the beginning. It's hard to read David and Paul and Spurgeon and not feel this small. <laughs> right? So uh, you feel small, I know. Um, but I don't want you to leave that way. Oh, man, my prayers suck. And that's, that's not what I want us to leave as. What I want us to leave as is, but you know what? I don't understand prayer. I don't get prayer. I have a hard time communicating with God in prayer. And maybe part of the reason why is because I've not actually tried to have a conversation with God. What I typically do is try to say the things I hear everyone else say. And for some reason, those don't make any sense. You know what I'm saying? I try not to say just want to lift up, but I just can't. (laughs) Because I hear it so much that when I get into my unthinking mode of prayer, those words just come right out. So we got to go back to the gospel. And here's the deal. You can work real hard. You can write down some awesome prayers. You can pray your best prayer. But in the end, it's filthy rags. In the end, it's not going to even really matter because God loves you so much. He's our loving father. And just like I said last week, our loving father wants us to say everything, even if it's stupid. When my son comes to me crying over the boo-boo on his knee, I'm not correcting his English. (laughs) I'm listening. And Jesus and God tell us that he will listen no matter what we say. He, he will take our stupidest, weakest, littlest thing. Is that true? Hey, he will. But does that mean we shouldn't at least sometimes, maybe once in a while, try to give him our best? Do we always got to come and say, uh, yeah, you know, you know what I, I'm thinking. This is good. This was good. <laughs> All right. Do it next week. <laughs> All right, so, but let's get back to the gospel. I keep, you know, I keep ranting. All right, here's this verse, likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Raise your hand if you understand what this verse means. It's a hard one, isn't it? Most of Romans is. Doesn't it mean that when we're stupid, the the Holy Spirit prays for us? Actually, it doesn't. It means that when we're ignorant, the Spirit prays for us. And we're all ignorant because we don't know what God's doing and we don't know what the future holds. And so we don't know how to pray. But it doesn't mean that when you're too stupid to actually get off your butt and think about what you should say when you pray, that he's going to pray for you. That's what made me not pray for most of my life. I thought, well, he's got it. I don't need to pray. He's got it. He prays better than me anyway. I'll just let him get it. No, it means that when we're ignorant, he fills in the gaps and we're all ignorant. Here's what it says. Um, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What is that about? 
Okay, so here's the deal. The Spirit is inside of you, and He knows you, right, because He's in you. He knows what you're thinking, and He knows what you don't even know that you're thinking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Remember when I first started, I said, have you ever, like, wanted to pray, but you knew what you wanted to say, but you didn't know how to say it? Or sometimes you don't even know what to say, you just know you need to say something? The Spirit inside of you says he's there at that moment. Okay, you want to say something, but you don't know what you should or how to say, but I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know what's in your heart. And most of us don't even know what's in our heart. We just know what's in our head. We, we, we're still trying to get at, you know, what's, you know, daddy issues or whatever. We, we have these things in here, and we don't know what they are, but the Spirit, he does. He knows all of the chemistry in us. And so when we pray, and we don't really know say what we're trying to say. I just feel something. The Spirit says, oh, I know what you feel. They're too deep for words. Isn't that true? Sometimes what we feel is too deep for words. The Spirit says, okay, I know what you're feeling, and, I, and it is too deep for words, but I got a word for that. It's a, uh, and he gives it to God for us. That's cool. Holy Spirit lives inside of us and uh for us when we don't know how to uh. But there's more. It's not just the Spirit who's groaning. You see that word Likewise. You can never read any verse in Romans without going back to the previous verses. Did you know that? You could actually start a series on Romans with the last verse of Romans and then just go backwards <laughs> because he's always got these words like likewise or therefore or ergo or for. For instance, so when he says likewise, you could say, well, he said something before that that I probably should know. Likewise, likewise, what are you talking about? So let's go back to the couple earlier verses. And he says this, for, there's another word, right? Should we go back again? No, I don't want to go back again. We'll be here all night because we'll go all the way back to chapter one, verse one. But but there's a four there. I just wanted you to see it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So it's not just the spirit that's groaning. It's creation too. The whole of creation. So I don't know if that means the earth or the universe. Honestly, I don't know. All I know is the whole of creation is groaning in this feeling of childbirth. The whole creation is groaning. What's it groaning about? Well, there's more. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, comma, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So Christians, those who have been given the Spirit, those who have the Spirit living in them, those who are Christians groan. So creation groans, and Christians groan, and the Spirit groans. Why are we groaning? We groan inwardly. What are we groaning for? As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So here's, here's, the, here's the big theology. When Jesus died for us and gave us new life, we became a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, right? But yet not, because I still struggle with sin. I'm still a jerk. Remember the prayer that Spurgeon prayed earlier, when will you give us the new heart and the right spirit? Give it to us now. We need it. Why? Well, because I'm a Christian, but I still mess everything up. I still lust. I still hunger after things I shouldn't. I still long for sin. Don't let me long for sin. Creation is the same way. Creation says, wait a minute, you won, you conquered death. When's the new creation coming? It's still the old creation that's dying of global warming, right? We need new creation. So, this, so creation is saying, when are you coming and rearranging things to be new? And you and me are saying, when are we going to stop struggling with the same old stuff? When are we going to have new life? When are we going to have victory in our life? When are we going to have, you gave us these promises, but they're not yet there. And so what? Paul is saying throughout Romans 8 is true, but he gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a, as a seal. He says, you're saved, you're a new creation, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm going to give you an inheritance, which is heaven, but not yet 
Instead, what I've done is I've given you a down payment called the Holy Spirit, a promise, a seal, which means you for sure will get it, but for now you're getting the Holy Spirit. And believe me, it's good enough. That's cool, isn't it? We have the Spirit within us. So the creation is groaning. Please let this be over. You and me are groaning. Please let this be over. And the Spirit is groaning saying, God, please let this be over. I'm tired of this job. Man, I'm tired of being here. Oh, seriously, I think that's what's happening. So, so how does this flesh out? Because I mean, that was big, deep, heavy seminary stuff. Here's how it fleshes out. In life, we have trials, right? Everyone knows that. Jesus said, you'll have trials. Paul said, you'll have trials. You have had trials. I've had trials. What happens when a trial comes into our life? We want to go around it, right? We want to pray for a hedge of protection from that trial. So the trial is, you know, possibly cancer. I don't know. Waiting for the, you know, we pray, Lord, please let it not be the cancer. Trial is your kids are in school. They're making bad grades. Lord, please make them better. <laughs> please, I don't want to go through that trial. Trial is, you know, uh, I lost my job. I'm looking for a new job. Please don't make me wait forever. Please give me a job, job, job. Don't let me get fired. Everyone's getting fired. Don't let me get fired. We're, we're praying constantly to get around the trial. But sometimes God, the Father's saying, yeah, but I need you to go through the trial. That's what I need you to do. This is my perfect will is for you to go through the trial. Because trials, by definition, means they make us stronger. They make us better. They make us more closer to this person that we're becoming. So our prayer is, Lord, let us not have the trial. And we don't know how we ought to pray. We should actually pray, Lord, help me get through the trial. Maybe. Maybe we should pray to go around the trial. Sometimes we can go around the trial. Sometimes trials are our own. Sometimes we create our own trials. But we don't know how we ought to pray. So the Spirit says, okay, I feel you, dog. I feel you. I know what you're praying for. You're praying to go around the trial, but God wants you to go through this trial. It's his perfect will for you to go through this trial. So how does God answer our prayer and at the same time maintain his will? You see how, you see the trick, the trap that he's in? He promised us he would answer our prayers. We're praying with words, good words, hopefully. Lord, help me get around this. And God says, yeah, but I need you to go through it. So the spirit says, here's what he wants. God says, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll let him go through it but I'll let him go through it a little better than he would have gone through it. I will help him out. I'll, I'll, give this, I'll give this spirit. And so he goes through it. I get, that's where Romans 8, 28 comes from, right? The next verse that I'm not going to put on the screen because everyone has it memorized. God works for the good of those that love him according to his will and purposes. So he says, I know what you're praying for because the spirit told me and I'm going to make it happen while I can still have my good purpose as well. I'm going to do it for your good, but for my purpose. Here's what um, John Stott, famous commentator says. There are three actors in this scene. Three persons are involved in our praying. First, we ourselves in our weakness do not know what to pray for. Secondly, the indwelling spirit helps us by interceding for us and through us with speeches, groans, but according to God's will, speechless groans. And then thirdly, God the Father, who both searches our hearts, God knows our hearts, and he knows the Spirit's mind, and he hears and he answers my prayer and the Spirit's prayer according to his will. Do you see that? Three actors, my prayer, the Spirit's groans, God's will. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, but let me just give you one more quote. John Murray, another commentator. Thus, the children of God have two intercessors, two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven, right? Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he's praying for you and me. He's saying, Lord, look, Dad, down there, see it? 
And then the Holy Spirit is the intercessor in the theater of our own hearts. Spirit is in here, and he's praying up there. And Jesus is down there, I mean up there, and he's praying down here. I mean, do you see what's happening? When you and I click into our prayer mode, Lord God, we just want to, there's an amazing thing happening. It's not just us using a bunch of dumb words. It is us lining ourselves up with this amazing thing. Jesus praying down for us and the Holy Spirit who's in us praying up for us in groans and moans and groanings that are too deep for words. <laughs> Do you see how amazing prayer is? It's not something, it's more complicated than you thought it was. It's more difficult than you imagined it would be. But here's what's fascinating to me. God has employed the two most powerful employees or staff that he could employ for what? For prayer. God the Father has employed the CEO and the, I don't know, the CFO, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the second and the third person of the Trinitarian God. You don't get any better than that. The resume is long, okay? He's employed the two most powerful persons in the universe to do what? Pray for you and to pray through you. I hope you're feeling what I'm feeling, overwhelmed and blessed and almost full of tears. So here's what I want to close with. We should think about what we pray because it's a big deal. There's an important thing happening. When we open, when we ring the phone or knock on the door, three people show up. You he and it, <laughs> right? It's a big deal. We should make it a big deal. And in the end, wouldn't that be more meaningful? Again, I'm not trying to make prayer more difficult than it already is, but maybe the reason why it's difficult is because we just really haven't even really tried it. Sometimes when a thing is more challenging, it's more meaningful and more enjoyable, like golf, right? Anyone like golf? It's the worst game in the world. I used to make fun of people for playing that game. Look at those old men chasing that white ball on that green grass. I'd rather shoot something, you know? But if you ever play golf and you realize how hard it is, all of a sudden it becomes enjoyable. I don't know why. It's fun to throw your stick across the, you know, the yard. What about relationships? If there's someone stalking you, you don't want to talk to them. This is too easy. But what about whenever you got married? It was fun, right? You learn how to cook. <laughs> you, you learn how to say things better than you would have said. You think, of, and it's more fun, it's more challenging, it's more enjoyable. So prayer could be more enjoyable if it was more meaningful. But the other thing I want us to see is this. Prayer is just a magical thing. Jesus, Holy Spirit, groanings. I have no idea what's going on, but it's powerful. Here's what's just incomprehensible for me. Jesus Christ will labor in prayer for you and me. The Holy Spirit labors and groans for prayer for you and for me. And yet I will not labor in prayer.